Well, it's not a great week to be a Chiefs fan. Let's talk some Chiefs, guys. Welcome to the Chief of the North podcast. I'm your host, Minnesota Chiefs fan, or Seth Kaiser. And guys, well, it's been a few days now. You've had a little time to adjust and absorb and react, and you're still probably upset. And you know what? I can't blame you one bit. It's a, you know, it, it is what it is. The Chiefs had another massive choke job in the playoffs. That is the thing they are going to be known for until they get another playoff win. That's just, it is what it is. That's where they're at right now. Blow a huge lead at home to a, a team that is clearly inferior talent-wise. It's just a rough, rough gig overall. Um, you know, I wrote before the game that I felt like the Chiefs were playing with house money. And I, I kind of talked about that uh, last week on the podcast, too. And I still feel that way. I'm still excited for next season. Um but man, they sure did find like the one way they could lose a game that could really suck the life out of you, didn't they? Ugh, it was just it was rough. Um, you know, there's there's a few things I want to talk about with regards to the game. There are a lot of mailbag questions, so I'm gonna get to those. Oh man, see, I'm already starting my first yawn. It is as I record this, it is. You'll have to give me some patience. It's nearly midnight. Finally got my kiddos to bed and all that fun stuff. So you're gonna need to give me some patience with regards to my yawns again. So, you know, you could turn it, you know, into whatever kind of game you want to. How many times does Minnesota Chiefs fan yawn? Well, there's a few things I want to talk about. I want to talk about the game a little bit in general, the hot and cold offense. I want to talk about Andy Reid and some of the misconceptions that have been flying around. Um and Matt Nagy, um, now that Nagy's been hired to Chicago and some of his quotes have come out, you know, we can talk about what happened from the first half to the second half there. I want to talk, spend a big segment talking about Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes. This is going to be one of the last times I think I'm going to have to talk about that. I want to talk about the hiring of Eric Bieniemy. Um, as the new offensive coordinator, um, what I think of that. And then we're going to take on as many mailbag questions as we have time for. Oh, there's a second one already. Whew. I didn't even try to fight that one, guys. That's right. That's the kind of week it is. Um, so let's just let's just talk about this. You know, it was a tough game overall. The defense played pretty well in the first half, and then in the second half, just imploded. Couldn't stop the run. Couldn't get off the field. They were running all kinds of crazy. Um, well, not crazy, but they were running a lot of light formations, um, including on Derrick Henry's big 35-yard touchdown. They had two defensive linemen on the field, and both of them were to the right of the center. They had Eric Murray in what was almost like a uh, like a five-tech position, even though he wasn't, you know, in a five-tech stance, but that's where he was on the field. It, it was truly genuinely bizarre. I don't know what Bob Sutton was thinking. I know Chris Jones going down to an injury is tough. I get that. Um, the, you know, the, the character of the game changed very quickly and I think that was tough on them. But I just, the whole the way that Sutton approached it was was baffling to me. And I really I've rewatched, you know, normally when I rewatch those snaps, I see, oh man, it's mostly execution, that kind of thing. This time there were a lot of things done schematically that I was just thinking, you know, what are you doing? Especially with the types of fronts that were being used. Again, Justin Houston barely being used as a weapon to rush the passer. It's infuriating. It's uh it's genuinely upsetting to watch. And so I, I've kind of joined the course of people that are saying I think it's best for the Chiefs to move on from Sutton with Nagy 
leaving and Childress from reports likely retiring. Um, they've got an opportunity here to kind of have a, uh, a, a full turnover, right? A new era kind of thing. And they could complete that by moving on from Bob Sutton as well. Um, I think it's time he's had, uh, they've had some good defenses, but that's only when they've had superstar players. And personally, I think that a, what you want out of a defensive coordinator is a guy that can coax a decent defense out of something other than a team of superstars. I just don't think his scheme is I, I think his scheme is too easy to manipulate. It's too easy to to make it to make him go light and to go to dime looks and become easy to run on. Um, I think it's too responsive in nature. I don't like the way he uses Justin Houston. I don't particularly like the way he uses Marcus Peters. I don't like that they're not pressing more often on defense. We've seen that on some plays, like we saw that in the Oakland game when Peters was out. There was a lot of very aggressive. Oh, yeah, right. I'm so sorry, guys. We saw a lot of aggressive uh, press man. Coverage, but you didn't see that throughout the whole season. It was just frustrating because it fits so well with what the defense does right, um, what what the cornerback skill set is. Um, I just don't agree with some of the things that he does. I don't think he has the linebackers attacking enough. Um, I don't think he has the defensive line attacking enough. Um, overall, I would like to see them get a more aggressive defensive coordinator, someone who's a little more, um, not necessarily just sending more blitzes, but just more about bringing the heat in general, as opposed to more the bend, but don't break stuff. I've seen enough of that. I think they're going to be moving on to a more aggressive offense this next year. And so I'd like to see a defense that follows suit. Um, you know, with, with that in mind, the fact that I do think it's time for them to move on from Sutton, I want to talk primarily about the offense and about Andy Reid because, I've heard a lot of stuff this week, um, especially right after the game. There were a lot of people freaking out, a lot of people kind of on the fire Andy train and just all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I, I get it. People were upset. This is the second huge playoff collapse with Andy Reid at the helm. So, of course, you are going to uh, – of course, we're going you're, – you're going to be upset. That makes sense. And the head coach is ultimately responsible for – what happens on the team. And so I get that. I get why people are upset. And so the problem that I've had as I've talked to people about the game is when they tell me that it's, uh, it's Andy Reid's fault, they can't really tell me what it is he did wrong. And I hear general things like, oh, the play calling was horrible because this, this is the big thing. And now that's kind of slowing down. But, well, Andy Reid must have taken over the play calling in the second half. Or he must have taken the play calling over this game. And that's why they were only great early on in the game because Andy Reid's only good during the first 15 plays, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Narrative, narrative. Now, why am I saying it kind of condescendingly like that? Well, partly because I'm tired, but also just because it doesn't match up what I've watched. I've seen a lot of people blame Andy Reid for this loss. And when I ask them, well, why? What did he do wrong? Well, he's just, he's just, he's not a guy who can win big games. Okay. How did that inability to win big games affect this game? What, what my point is, I want people to confront their assumptions. If you believe something, what I'm asking you is, why do you believe it? 
I, I ask myself that about everything, and I try to because sometimes I realize I just believe something because I've been told it. Well, that's not good. That's not a way to go through life. You need to examine the evidence and say, what does the evidence tell me? And so the first thing, if you say Andy Reid is the reason the Chiefs lost this game, you can't tell me it's because of some ethereal lack of killer instinct that he has, some unquantifiable thing you know that me and TJ Carpenter argued about for like an hour on Twitter. This this in unquantifiable issue that Andy Reid is that infects the entire team that that's not an argument that's not evidence that's just saying things that's like me saying well it's because the sky was a certain color that day and it infected the team with its negative energy it just doesn't make sense there's no evidence to support it so yes does Andy Reid has does he have some bad playoff losses he absolutely does did Andy Reid prior to Alex Smith win more playoff losses more playoff games than he lost Yes, he did. So, you know, well, maybe we should be looking at Alex Smith. Why aren't we looking at him? Maybe we should be looking at Bob Sutton. Why aren't we looking at him? It ultimately comes to Andy Reid, and I get that because he's the head coach. But if you're going to tell me the Chiefs lost this game because of Andy Reid, I need to hear why. And so what inevitably uh, came back to was the play calling. I had a bunch of people telling me that, you know, Andy Reid went full conservative in the second half, that they they didn't really finish the game strong enough. They didn't give the ball to Kareem Hunt enough. Um, they, 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 well, and then in the, in the interesting piece of irony, they, they, they were, they were too conservative. And so it was funny because on one hand, I've got people telling me that they were too conservative. And on the other hand, I have people telling me that they should have given the ball to Kareem Hunt more and run the ball more, which you guessed it is a conservative thing to have done. And so I, I kept, I kept hearing these things. I, I had one person tell me, well, they ran like five screens in a row at one point and all these things that people from what I can tell are just accepting at face value as having happened. So what I did is I, well, I did what I always do. I went back and I reviewed every snap on all 22 and I actually gift every one of them, except ones that, uh, that uh, Brian Baldinger made into videos to where if you go to my Twitter timeline right now, you will be able to find one through 20 going back because number 20 is the most recent one. And then going back to number one, the 20 plays the Chiefs ran on offense in the second half on all 22 with a quick breakdown of every one of them, whether it's mine or Baldy's. I think three are his, 17 are mine. And I wanted to see, is there any truth to the narrative that Andy Reid's play calling cost them the game? Um, did he go into a shell? And so what I wanted to see with that was um, with, with, with the pass plays that they called, I charted how many of those pass, pass plays had routes beyond 10 yards, routes down the field. Um, you know, then I, I charted, well, how many screens were there? I want to see how many lateral throws there were. How many times did Hunt run the ball? How many runs were there versus passes? How many read pass options were there? I chart all these things because it's important to me to figure out exactly what was going on. First things first, with regards to Kareem Hunt, I would have liked to see Kareem Hunt get the ball more. One thing you should note is the Chiefs ran five RPOs at least, at least in the second half and one and one option play. So at the very least on six plays out of 20, it was the quarterback's decision whether or not Kareem Hunt got the ball, not Andy Reid's. Okay. And on several of those, Kareem Hunt didn't get the ball. And that's on at least five. There were a couple more that really easily could have been called RPOs, but I'm just trying to be careful there. And those ended up being passes. And so on those plays, you have to understand that's not an Andy Reid thing. 
That is not his decision. That is the quarterback's decision at the line of scrimmage after the ball gets snapped to decide whether to, to, to give Hunt the ball or not. Um, another thing to note is that um, there were literally no screens called in the second half. Not a single one. If anyone tells you that Andy Reid called a bunch of screens in the second half, they are either lying or ignorant. And I'm so sorry to phrase it that way. I, I just don't know what to tell you. I don't mean ignorant in like a you're dumb way. I just mean you don't know. Because if you go back and watch, it's so clear. It, it's plain as day. They did not run screens. They also didn't run any horizontal passing plays that I've heard had some people say acting like those are different than bubble screens or something like that, which they're really not. But let's pretend they are for the sake of argument. They didn't call any of those either. Um, the, the, the chiefs, the, the passing plays that they ran were traditional type passing plays with traditional routes, some intermediate, some deep, some shallow. There were not screens called. There were not horizontal passing plays called. There were a couple of short passes, but those were check downs. And that's a quarterback decision, not an Andy Reid decision. So those are a few things to get out of the way, right out of the bat. Um, as I watched the, the game. What I found was when there were failures, especially in the passing game, but also in the running game, they were not schematic in nature. They were not. There were not plays where it's just like, oh, this play was doomed to fail. And again, go through my timeline. Go through every one of these gifts. Because here's the thing. If you're saying, you know, Andy Reid, if you're saying Andy Reid cost the team the game by taking over the the play calling, then what, what would be necessarily true would be that you would look and you would see play calls that failed plays that were inappropriately called at inappropriate times. Um, and when you go back and watch, that's just not the case. Um, some plays failed because of instant failures by Witzman at left guard. There were at least three of those. There were at least three plays that I would call failures on Alex Smith's part, whether that was a, a, a read issue, like as in reading the defense issue, uh, bailing out of a clean pocket, um, throwing to the wrong guy. There were a few things that happened. I think four might be a more accurate number out of the uh, the 20 plays. There were also a couple plays where there were passes that were just dropped. Tyreek Hill had a drop. He had an ugly game, hands-wise. It was really, really rough. Um, Orson Charles obviously dropped a crucial third down that if he hangs on to that, it's an entirely different game because the Chiefs have another set of downs to try to run the clock off and also are threatening to score at least a field goal. And there's just, it was a whole slew of things that went wrong execution wise that you can immediately take half the plays that were run and see the executional failure by an individual player that scrapped the play. Well, 10 out of 20, that's half the plays and most of the failed plays. There was one really bad call that I did not like at all, and that was the the option to the right. Um, you call it a speed option. Um, uh, that was a terrible call. I hated that. Um, I have no idea whether Alex checked into it because he was doing something at the line of scrimmage before the play call. I certainly think he should have checked out of it. Um, he had single coverage on the left side with Wilson, um, but I, I, I hated that play call. So that absolutely on Reed or Nagy, whoever was calling the plays. However, besides that, if you go back and watch the plays, and again, they're all on my timeline, take a look. That's not a coaching issue. These are 
basic executional failures in crucial moments. A drop pass is not on the coach. It's just not. A, a offensive lineman getting destroyed or completely missing a delayed blitz or a stunt and blowing up a play immediately. That's not on the coach. A a, a 13-year veteran quarterback making the wrong read or panicking in a clean pocket and throwing the ball where he shouldn't throw it or trying to run to daylight only to run into the waiting arms of a defender, which that second one happened twice on plays where Alex had no business scrambling and had open receivers. It happened twice that, that he ran into a sack. Um, and that just can't happen. That is not on the coach. Andy's route combinations were getting guys open. And then real quick, before we get into the break, well, actually, no, we're going to take a break first. Then we're going to talk about this Andy Reid, Matt Nagy thing and talk about narratives and how they get built. And then we're going to start talking about Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith. So we're going to do all that right after this. All right. We're talking about Andy Reid, the playoff game and you, (laughs) um, you know, how narratives get spread and that kind of thing during the first segment here. Um, and there's going to be an article and the may be up by now, actually on Arrowhead pride, going over a lot of this information about the fact that if you, if you're telling me that the, the play calling became too conservative in the second half, um, I'd point out to you that of the 13 pass plays that were called 12 of them had routes going beyond 10 yards. And the only one that didn't was on a third and three or third and two. So a third and short, I don't remember how short it was, play call um they just they 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 did keep calling aggressive routes down the field um the quarterback chose not to throw them and sometimes for good reason to be sure um the 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 failures were largely executional in nature in terms of drops missed blocks or missed plays by the quarterback. That's just what I saw. There were only 20 plays, and at least half of them were really obvious execution failures by individuals, and not the kind of execution failures like, well, they should have coached them up to do it better. No, no, no. Just basic execution stuff, like bailing from a clean pocket or dropping a pass or missing a, a pass blocking assignment. Um, and, you know, even Kareem Hunt, his hands weren't entirely clean, which Brian Baldinger pointed out in a video he did. That's on my timeline too. Where, you know, Kareem Hunt could have had a first down had he just simply cut back and he had some daylight and he didn't do it. And it ended up in a, in a, in a, in a second or third down situation where the Chiefs ended up not converting. And, you know, it just it just is what it is. You have to examine the evidence for what you believe. I, you know, if people want to blame Andy Reid, I'm fine with it um, because you know he hired Bob Sutton, and Sutton had a really bad game. He chose Alex Smith, and Alex Smith had a good first half, but struggled at times in the second half where everything was going wrong. So yeah, you want to blame him for the ultimate performance? That's fine, but don't tell me that he somehow infected the team with losing or that he took over the play calling and it was bad because. For one, the first part I don't think is true necessarily. And for two, the play calling was fine. As from what I watched, the majority of the plays, except for one, were good play calls that worked and created open receivers and opportunities. So was it Andy Reid or Matt 
Nagy. I mean, there's been a lot of controversy. It was kind of funny. I had so many people telling me it was so clearly Andy Reid because he had a headset and a play sheet. I got news for you. Andy Reid's had a headset headset and a play sheet down the stretch when everyone knew Nagy was calling the plays. He had it in the first half too, guys. So then people were saying, well, he took it overall game. Well, you know, Andy Reid, you know, said in the press conference, you know, the good ones were, were, were Matt's, the bad ones are mine. And, you know, people got a laugh out of it, but I actually had people telling me, oh no, Andy Reid admitted to it. And I said, you know, guys, he's, he's, he's covering for his guy. Andy Reid does not throw coaches under the bus. He doesn't. And that's why coaches love playing for him because he will never, ever, ever, ever throw a guy under the bus. He just won't do it. Many say he's loyal to a fault. And to an extent that could be true. So Matt Nagy gets hired by the bears. And once he's hired and everything's free and clear, he says flat out, with absolutely no doubt whatsoever, I called every single play in the second half. And he basically called it a learning experience for him, implying that he did something wrong. And so now it was kind of funny because, you know, all the people that have been telling me for days how Andy Reid so clearly took it over are now all of a sudden like, well, you know, maybe Nagy's just trying to cover for Andy, but Andy's still ultimately responsible even if he did. All these other things to hang on to the notion that they had that it's got to be Andy Reid's fault somehow. Here's what I would say. One, I don't think Matt Nagy's role changed at all in that game. Uh, Now, to be fair, I don't think Andy Reid completely gave up play calling ever. I think he still had a very heavy hand in the offense. Yes, you could you could clearly see Nagy's influence on it, especially with the RPOs and the increased use of spread. However, um, you could still see it was clearly Andy Reid's offense, and I think he was still um, at least assisting with the play calling, as it were. And so I think that was still going on that way in the playoff game, the whole playoff game. And all the evidence that I've got points to that's what, what was happening. The other thing, uh, you know, whether it was Nagy, whether it was Reid, I don't think whoever it was should be getting a hard time for it because I think it was called just fine. Whoever it was, if you go back and watch, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. The opportunities were there. The players, the players did not take advantage of them. They just didn't. And it, and again, it's not like they were asking them to do things that were particularly hard. Catching a pass that should be caught. I mean, this is that the coach has done everything he can do at that point. And so, you know, it's bothered me a lot, the misconceptions that are flying around out there. And so I, I just, I had to address those because, you know, my biggest thing is I was really, really worried um, about, you know, oh man, maybe Matt Nagy was the key to it. Maybe Andy just is this choke artist. So I had to go watch and I had to confirm and I didn't see anything that makes me believe that Andy can't coach a team to a win in the playoffs. And if you look at his career prior to coming to the Chiefs, yes, he's had failures in the playoffs, but he's also had successes in the playoffs. And, you know, someone pointed out, and I mentioned this earlier, that without Alex Smith, Andy Reid's record in the playoffs is actually above 500. Um, with Alex Smith, it's significantly worse. So, um, well, that actually moves us into Alex Smith. I think he's played his last game as a chief. I don't think that's a big secret for anyone. Um, I'm going to talk maybe more about Alex Smith sometime about his legacy as a chief. I appreciate Alex. I learned almost everything I know about breaking down quarterback film, watching him play. Um, and a few other quarterbacks that I would use for frame of reference. Um, Alex Smith is clearly a good guy. He's clearly a competitor 
who has played his guts out for the Chiefs. I have a load of respect for him. That said, it's time. It's time to move on. And in my opinion, this playoff game demonstrated why. And I've had some people say to me, well, yeah, you know, PFF gave him a good grade and his stats are pretty good. Why would this game, you know, shouldn't this game show that they should keep him? Because, you know, it shows a playoff Alex is a thing. Look at the stats. To which I would say, look at the snaps. Again, Check my timeline. Look at every snap there. Watch those passing plays. Watch those clean pockets get bailed on. Watch a few open receivers get missed. Watch a few key decisions get rushed. Here's what I'll say about Alex Smith. I think him and Andy Reid are a tough combination, especially in the playoffs, because I think both of them at heart tend to be overly conservative when the going gets tough. And I think that the two of them They almost accentuate each other's weaknesses in those moments. Now, when things are going well, they accentuate each other's strengths because Alex Smith is very smart, very capable of executing an offense and running it extremely well and recognizing issues pre-snap. He's he's great with that stuff. And so when Andy's offense is humming, Alex looks great in it. But when Andy's offense is not humming, Alex mostly falls apart. And when he goes into hyper-conservative mode and Andy gets a little more conservative, which again, I'm not saying he did this game. Um, He could have been more aggressive for sure, though. I think there's almost this symbiotic relationship for good and for bad. And I just don't think they're a good fit with one another because of that. I think at the end, I think they're a great regular season combo. But during the playoffs, I just think, you know, Alex is too dependent on Andy's scheme to win, and I think Andy's scheme needs a quarterback who's able to take things into his own hands a little bit more. And so talking about that, um, I've, I've called Alex dependent on Andy before, and what I see when I watch Alex Smith is a guy who is dependent on other things going right. Not all the time. Sometimes he makes plays all on his own, and we've all seen that, but that's much more rare than it is common. I don't count on Alex Smith to make plays when things break down. That's not his game. His game is efficiently running the offense, making to correct pre-snap reads, making almost no mistakes that really hurt your team. Um, He's not uber aggressive. He doesn't really throw into the intermediate zones much, even though now he throws in the deep zone more often. He overall is what he is. He is a quarterback who, when things are going well, or even going average, will run your offense extremely efficiently and make like no mistakes that will cost your team points. And because of that, when your offense is doing well, you're going to win a lot of games, a lot, a lot of games, especially if you've got some playmakers for him to get the ball to. However, when the when the stuff hits the fan, as it were, and the offense isn't humming, and the playmakers aren't quite getting things done, and maybe the offensive coordinator or the head coach isn't a step ahead of the defense, Alex Smith generally is not a guy who's going to throw the team on his back for a, for a quarter. He's not going to throw the team on his back for a half. Now, not a lot of quarterbacks can do that consistently. However, that's something you want. You want a quarterback who can do both in a perfect world. You want a guy who can run the offense efficiently when it's going well. And you want a guy who, when things don't go the way you planned it, can just make something happen. And that's where you have enter Patrick Mahomes. 
Um, Mahomes, you know, we, we got to see more, obviously we got to see more because we just seen one game, but we saw a game with him with a bunch of backups and third stringers against first and second stringers of Denver, a lot of first stringers for a lot of the game. And he made stuff happen when the offense wasn't necessarily flowing around him. And that's what they need. They need someone who can make things happen when things aren't going right. Cause in the playoffs, it's never going to be smooth sailing for an offense all the way through. And that, that, I think, that, 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 that ability to be the rising tide that lifts all boats, that is the reason it's time to move on from Alex Smith. And I think we saw that on full display in the second half. The Chiefs needed someone to make a play or two. Actually, they need someone to make four or five plays on offense. They needed it. And in those situations, I want my quarterback to be a guy that can deliver that. And Alex, for the most part, is not that guy. And so when ta- when Travis Kelsey went down, the entire offense was just hosed. And that, to me, you know, it, it's demonstrative of the fact that Alex Smith is dependent on his playmakers. His playmakers need to be healthy and they need to be performing at a high level. They need to be winning. You know, we saw during the middle of this season, um, when the rest of the offense wasn't really winning, its assignments, Alex was not able to turn things around and, in fact, was a big part of the problem. Um, I think that's why it's going to be time for them to move on because he's the tough thing with Alex is that he's so close to good enough. In fact, Alex is good enough in a lot of the ways that matter, but just not quite all of them. His, His flaws are just a little bit too much to be able to have him be the guy moving forward. Too many things have to go right for him to succeed. Is he a significantly better quarterback than Matt Castle? Yes. Is he one of the best Chiefs quarterbacks ever? Yes. Which some of that is has to do with the Chiefs quarterbacks. But he can play. He's a good quarterback. He's just not quite good enough just not quite good enough and his inability to make plays on his own outside of the offense is where it really counts that pocket presence is where it really counts again go to my timeline look at some of those all 22 gifts there were several crucial downs where alex bailed on clean pockets and that's been a consistent problem for him and when he bails those pockets, it's not like he's making big plays because Mahomes bailed for some from some pockets against Denver, but he popped out and made some huge plays. There's a difference. And so that's why I think it's time to move on from Alex Smith because he confirmed what we were afraid of with him. It's just not his thing. He is not the rising tide that lifts all boats. And so one more thing before we go to our second break and then do a ton of mailbag questions. Uh, Eric Bieniemy was named the new offensive coordinator. Matt Nagy has moved on to the Bears. I have no idea how this will turn out, but I'm kind of excited about it. Bieniemy, according to Reed, has been very involved in all facets of the offense. He knows the offense. The running backs love him and are willing to run through a wall for him. You see in the, the videos that they do they have that he is a very fiery guy. I think the offense could use that. He's a guy who's big on accountability, and you see that in everything that they do, and you you hear that. I've heard interviews where Spencer Warrench, Arcandrick West, and even Jamal Charles talked about him. They they loved the fact there was no star treatment with him everyone was accountable everyone ran if they fumbled everyone got chewed out if they made the wrong play i think he's a great guy to add a little fire to the offense and to balance out andy who's a little more of a mr nice guy coach a lot of the time so i'm excited to see how that goes 
Um, I assume this means Andy will be back to calling his own plays, which I know means a lot of fans are going to freak out. I personally don't know how much of the play calling he really gave over to Nagy. Um, I think he gave some, and I hope he lets Biennemi in on that because I think what we've seen with this Matt Nagy experiment and earlier with the Doug Peterson experiment, I think we've seen that Andy can really use a guy to help him counteract his worst tendencies. And he's a wonderful offensive designer. And I think the majority of the time he's a good play caller, but he gets in his own way sometimes. And so I think having a guy like the enemy who seems by all accounts to be a guy who's going to be willing to say, no, Andy, that's stupid. We need to run the ball more. I think that could benefit the offense in the long run. Um, It'll be interesting to see what new guys they get in the door. I don't like the fact that I haven't heard anything about, you know, Andy Heck or anything like that because the O-line has not developed like I wanted it to. The defensive line was disappointing. I'm getting real nervous that I haven't heard anything about Bob Sutton because defensive coordinators are getting snapped up. Um, There are a few guys that I think would have been really great fits, but now they're on their way to Green Bay. And, you know, they just... I'm nervous that they're going to stick with too much of the same thing, but we'll see what happens. Um, Anyway, um, congratulations to Eric Bieniemy. I think, you know, it's going to be a really interesting thing to see how he does moving forwards. And I think he's got a chance to do a lot of good for the team based on his attitude and his approach alone. I think he might be a shot in the arm for the offense. All right. We're going to take one more break and then we're going to, answer i believe i got like a hundred responses for mailbag questions i think more actually i'm going to cover as many as i can because y'all were trying to vent and i want you to be able to vent so we're going to be going through this like speed racer and so we're going to do that right after this all right it's mailbag time i'm going to go from the bottom to the top because that seems like the most fair thing to do here's my signature drink of water Ah, i was a double gulper um, you know, this is kind of a funny start. Uh, forward progress says to me, don't just give up. There's literally no point. Hey, by the way, do you realize how insignificant we are in the grand scheme of things? You know what? I do realize that. And I'm glad you do too. So, you know, that's fun. Uh, Ryan asks, can Dave Tauber, Matt Nagy do a better job than Andy Reid as head coach of this roster? Um, also, where do you think we trade Alex and what price do we get for him? To the first one, no, Andy Reid's a good coach. Um, those two are, are unproven. Maybe they turn out to be better coaches, but right now I'm sticking with Andy and I'm more than okay with that. We'll see how Nagy does on his own. Maybe he'll do really well like Doug Peterson has. I think Taub will do really well or two, but I always get his name wrong. Um, I think they'll do well on their own, but I'm comfortable with Andy Reid after reviewing the film and seeing that it was not an Andy Reid problem. As far as Alex Smith goes... I don't know. Um, I think Jacksonville might pay the highest price for him, and I, I'd be fine with him going there personally. Um, Alex Smith does not necessarily frighten me as a quarterback to be facing. Yes, he makes Jacksonville better, but that you know, I, it just doesn't frighten me that much. I think he should go to the highest bidder, and I would love it if they could recoup those two second rounders for him. Um, Skulls228 asks, who do you think deserves a starting spot next year and who deserves to be cut? That is way too long an answer for me to go through here there, brother. Um, but what I will say is I think the core of the offense is largely in place already. I really do. They need to get a left guard that's more consistent because Witzman was a real problem in the playoff game in pass pro, a real problem. And they need to figure that out. Um, A guard is not the most important position on the field, but man, it sure can 
it sure did ter- it sure did terminate two or three plays before they even had a chance to get started. Um, so they need to get that figured out. Other than that, I'm pretty confident with the offense. I like the playmakers they have. Another receiver would be good. A, a, a better number two tight end would be good. But overall, I'm okay with it. On defense, here's your core. Um, in my opinion, I think Nacho is a good role player. So we'll include him kind of at the beginning as like a role player. But your core core guys are uh, starting with the secondary are Eric Berry. Marcus Peters, um, Ron Parker as a role player, strictly. Um, Justin Houston, Chris Jones, Reggie Ragland. Those are your core guys. And so I think they've got, you know, five or six core guys in place. And it's a good core that you can build around. Then you got a couple of role players already in place in Nacho and in Ron Parker. Maybe Benny Logan for a good price. He was a disappointment this year, though. So uh, it's going to depend on the price there. Um, Alan Bailey, I doubt he's a core guy moving forward. I don't think he's worth the money that they're looking to have to pay him this year if they keep him. So those are the, my guys, my core guys that I would build around. Um, Mr. Withheld asks, question, why do we not put in a QB that has proven he can make game-winning drives? Why do we consistently stick with a person instead of doing what's right by the organization? Um, I think Andy Reid is trying is generally a guy who tries not to be reactionary. So the idea of um, just shifting into to, to Patrick Mahomes for you know a half of a game although given what we just saw with the national championship maybe that's the move you want my honest answer now that the season's over and we can be over this quarterback controversy thing do i think if the chiefs start patrick mahomes that they win that game oh yeah i think they do i do um i think he can do what alex did in the first half because i think that was the offense by and large running well and i think he would have done some things alex could not have done in the second half. I don't think he makes those same mistakes, those same plays. I think he buys at least a few more first downs and they win that game. Tim asks, why does Reed go into Marty mode? We already answered this. He doesn't. It is just a myth. It's a narrative. And, and the next time someone tells you, no, no, it's Andy Reed's fault. Then you ask him, well, what did he do wrong? Well, the play calling. Okay. What was wrong with the play calling? Well, it was too conservative in what way make them really explain what they really think. And you will find, and I have found this with literally every single person. They cannot give me real reasons that match up with reality. Uh, PKS asks in what, um, M universe, is a strip sack rule just a sack because of forward progress? That is the worst call I have ever seen in my life. I have never seen. I, I've never seen one worse than than that Derek Johnson non fumble. That was unbelievable. I I just. I, I really, I have no words. It basically, if that is not a fumble, that means almost every strip sack you've ever seen isn't. A fumble. Every big hit where the ball carrier dropped the ball because he got hit so hard wasn't really a fumble. Um, unbelievably bad call, and it was potentially a 10-point swing. Um, it's unfortunate. On the flip side, you know, maybe some needed changes will get made because they lost this rather than going deeper into the playoffs. I don't know. Uh, Veritas and Karitati. Uh, sorry if I'm getting that wrong. If the Chiefs could get Bilicek, would you fire Reed and grab him? That assumes reports of tension New England are true. Yeah, I would. I like Andy Reed a lot. Bilicek is the best coach in the NFL. That's just how it is. Uh, Thomas Haslett says, why don't you talk about Ty Hill getting paid to throw the game? Tyreek Hill played one of his worst games in a while, and he 
he he dropped multiple passes. He dropped by it depends on what chart you go by. The most that I could find because you know drops are kind of subjective is that he had three drops all year on seventy five catches. And then he had three in one game. That was awful. I feel for the guy because his hands have generally been positive. Here's my thing though. Um, this is his second playoff game. Um, this is his first one as a major part of, of the of the offense. And then also he just went through a death of a family member. I, I think his dad or his grandpa from what I read on Twitter. Maybe it was his dad. And I'm just not sure he was all the way back. I just he, he did not seem all the way back. He seemed like he was pressing a little bit. And so I feel for the guy. I'm willing to give him a mulligan. Uh, Matt Bartlett asks, why are we Chiefs fans if they just keep doing this to us? Well, you know, Matt, I can't speak for you, man. And and I don't know. I mean, I, I understand that you're frustrated. And I think a lot of people are frustrated. For me, I love football. I love the game. And I like watching the Chiefs a lot. And you notice the difference between the like and the love there. I, I guess I am not a, you know, some people really tie up their fanhood with their identity. I guess I'm not that guy. I mean, I kind of, you know, I'll go along with it. The fun stuff, you know, ah, Chiefs. And, and I like that. I care about the Chiefs a great deal. But I don't live and die on whether they win. And I don't tie up their accomplishments with my own. So it doesn't just kill me when they lose. I'm not saying that's the only reason it kills people when they lose. Because, you know it still bothers me a lot but you know it's because it's fun it's fun hope springing eternal is fun they always being next year is fun watching football is fun and the minute it stops being fun for me i'm done i will i will i will quit this job and i will quit watching football the minute it stops becoming fun Charles Sawyer asks kind of a similar question. Why do we continue to trust this team? My depression is setting in. You know what? I don't know. But you know what? We are going to see something new and different this next year. It's not going to just be business as usual. And that is worth seeing. Uh, Hunter asks, why does this always happen? And then he's got a bunch of crying emojis. Hunter, I'm sorry, man. I really don't know. But the Chiefs really are finding unique ways to lose games. So that's uh, that's impressive. So there's that. Um, you know, I wish I had something else for you. Um, it happens, I think, just because we got bad luck. Matt Snyder just gave me a couple rages. His first rage is 2017 Russian champion on your team. Run the football. That's a good observation. Rage 2 is a fan. I'm tired of showing up to Arrowhead for an all-day event. Forking out fistfuls of dollars, being deafening loud, all for nothing. We showed up. The Chiefs did not. Miserable feeling on to 2018. You're right, Matt. And Andy Reid said as much. He said the crowd deserved better. And it was the same with the playoff loss last year too. Um... <clears throat> Um, Stucky asks, whose fault does this loss fall on? Um, what do you think the Chiefs get for Smith? Um, and based on our enormous amount of needs, what free agents do you go after with the freed up Alex money? I don't think we have enormous, uh, amounts of needs, honestly. Um, now I tend to be a fairly, uh, chipper guy. Um, he, he ended it with one half of this roster needs to go. Um, all due respect, Stucky, I think that's ridiculous. Um, I, I think they're, I think they by and large have what they need in place on offense. And I think you're going to find that out this year. You got to keep in mind, this was one of the highest scoring offenses in the league. Generally got the ball, generally got the job done. They do need to take a look at their depth. 
um, a tight end. They need to look at left guard. Other than that, I'm fine with the offense. Um, and on defense, they need to look at pass rushers, corners, and uh, I would like for them to look at maybe some safeties as well. Um, beyond that, I'm pretty comfortable with them. Um, um, Watt, <laughs> W-A-T-A says, felt too sick to watch anything post-game. Was there ever an explanation for giving Hunt the ball five times um, up 18 in the second half. Well, I, I covered that a lot in the first half and there were a lot of RPOs. The situational football was bad at times. And overall, I think they just kind of screwed the pooch there a few times. Um, and so, you know, you don't want to see that, but it is what it is. But I do think that some of it was the RPOs having other things open. Um, so I'm going to scroll up. Man, we just have so many of these guys. Um, what position do we go after in the draft first? Um, given the makeup of the team currently, I would like to see them continue. Um, I would like to see them continue to, to go after some to go after some corners because I think they're going to need some help. Um, Mahomes time. I, you know what, you gave me some great rage and I just want to tell you, it's going to be okay, man. Uh, the truth is out there said, what do you think needs changing next year? I think uh, defensive coordinator and quarterback are the two biggest things. Um, I, I think those are, I think with Mahomes, I do think you're going to see a step forward. I really do. Um, I think it's going to be very different. And at times there's going to be some frustrating turnovers, but overall, I think it's going to be a positive thing because um, of this next question, Brian Doherty says, if Mahomes is in that game, does he complete the final drive? I think he does. Yes. Um, I think he showed that. I think he's got a better chance than Alex does, at least in that particular situation with the offense, not necessarily succeeding. Coleman Brockmeyer says, how much worse would this loss be without the promise of Patrick Mahomes to come? It'd be so much worse because we would think that next year would just be business as usual. Um, and and that's, you know, it's not going to be business as usual. That actually answers a lot of questions that you guys asked me. You know, business as usual, everyone's like, oh, nothing's ever going to change. Next year, we are going to see something in all likelihood that we haven't seen in, what, what was it, like 1983? We're talking like 30 years. This is going to be something brand spanking new. It is going to be... It's going to be great. I am excited to see what happens. Um, so they got a, I've got time for just a few more questions um, with regards to these. Um, a lot of these are about Bob Sutton, which I've already talked about Bob Sutton a little bit. Um, you know, it's if, if I'm Andy Reid, I get rid of him, and I find a different defensive coordinator because I feel like they are – they're not responding to Sutton. I don't like the way he uses Houston and Peters. So that answers that, which is, <laughs> man, this is probably like, you know, three-fourths of the people at, um, we're at talking about those things. And I just got to tell you, man, as I scroll through these, you know, because these were like, you know, the day of, uh, you guys, I just feel for you guys. Um, there was just so much upset. Now looking at this a few days later, um, you know, I think a lot of you have probably settled down a little bit. Um, so, you know, most of these questions involve that I'm trying to find like about one or two more that I haven't, 
um, that I haven't covered. Um, you got a question here. <laughs> Steven C. Frazier says, I guess my question is after losing a wide receiver like Macklin and knowing that a receiver like Decker was a free agent, knowing Decker's killed the Chiefs over the years, why didn't we pick him up? That's a great question. I really thought they should have. Um, I, I really thought another reliable veteran would have been great to have. Um, but for whatever reason, they just uh, didn't go for it. Um I'm curious what they decide to do this offseason. They seem comfortable with the young receiver core, but I would like to see more. I, I really want to see them do their do their best to try to find a little more help at receiver. Um, or, or even, if again, if it's at the second tight end, whatever. I would really want uh, – I, I would really want to see them have a little more weaponry um, to where they can win more things one-on-one and not just rely on Andy Reid to win. Um, so I, I, there's there's a million more questions. And guys, I'm sorry that I couldn't answer them all, but I would just, I'm going to answer one more. Nathan Manning says, why does being a Chiefs fan always result in disappointment? And that's a sad question. And that's why I want to, that's why I want to address that one last. You know, guys, I, I, like I said earlier, I enjoy this. I really do. Now I, I didn't enjoy parts of that game and the part right afterward, I was pretty bummed out. I was even, huh, even me, I was a little snippy with some people after the game and it can make you miserable for brief periods of time. I guess, guys, I, I enjoy this. I really do. I enjoy watching the Chiefs. And I would just urge you guys to just sit back for a minute. I understand a lot of your emotions regarding the Chiefs right now are are <laughs> rage-filled um, or sadness-filled. But I would just, you know, I want you to really just ask yourself to really think about some of the great memories that come from being a Chiefs fan. And sure, you can be like, well, none of them were ever a Super Bowl. But you know what? I don't gauge my enjoyment of what happens with the Chiefs over whether they win a Super Bowl. I'm not this whole like, well, at least we cheer for a winner. That's for Broncos fans, man. I don't watch for that reason because if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, you know what that means I've accomplished? Nothing. Zip. Nada. I'm sitting here on my couch watching them. It doesn't mean I'm any more of a winner. And when my team loses, it doesn't mean I'm any more of a loser. I enjoy watching the Chiefs. Some of the best moments of my life are centered around watching the chiefs with some family members or talking to some chiefs about family members or, you know, talking to, to, to my buddy Wade before he died of cancer about football, you know, um, um, talking to his son later, trying to comfort him and distracting him talking about football, um, teaching my boys about, about quarterback, you know, consoling them and teaching them about how this whole thing works when Matt Castle was let go and they were just in tears, um, you know, comforting them again when Jamal Charles got released and their dad was in tears, um, you know, going to games with my wife, meeting a lot of you guys, going to games with my kiddos. Um, it really is a fun, great game. And it really Guys, despite everything, and I mean this, it really is a good week to be a Chiefs fan. It is because it's a great sport and it's a team that I love to cheer for. And I think all of you do too. And that's why you're so mad because that's, you know, you know how that goes when you love something, man, can it tick you off? So guys, I have just, it's been an unspeakable privilege to talk to you guys about the Chiefs.
um, over this podcast this season. I intend on on continuing throughout the off season. I'm going to take a little time try to figure out what that's going to look like exactly. Um, I doubt it'll be a weekly thing, but I would like to come back and chat with you guys a little more because you guys have been so great to listen and doing all the things you've done. Um, so I don't know when it'll be. Hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later, but we will be talking again about the Chiefs. And until then, um, you know, this has been the Chief in the North, the land of 10,000 takes. And uh, it has been my absolute privilege to talk Chiefs with you guys. And uh, it's a good season to be a Chiefs fan. Even if it doesn't feel like it right now, it really is. And so I will hopefully be speaking to all of you soon. <laughs>